All right, let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer as we prepare to open up the word of God together this morning. Gracious Father, we do thank you for the reminder that this world is not our home and that we're just passing through. Uh, Lord, we pray that our treasure would truly be laid up beyond the blue. Uh, Lord, as we seek to honor you through the life that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ, to be salt and light and reflectors of your son, Jesus Christ, realizing that uh, we are ambassadors for you uh, because of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we open up your word today, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, uh, that your truth would transform us, and that we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we uh, are going to take a small respite from the Sermon on the Mount. We were very close to being finished with the Sermon on the Mount, but because of the fact that we are on the verge of an election, and as you take a look and turn on the news, you'll find very quickly that there is a lot of stuff going on. And there's no doubt that emotions are very high, uh, that there are things that are said, not in jest, but we are, are, we're living in a day and age where I think it's important for us to take a look at this from a biblical perspective. Because as a, uh, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, as a pastor, as one who has been called out by God to communicate his word, um, I know that God's word speaks to everything. Uh, we know that it speaks to everything pertaining to life and godliness. And for every believer, we, we know from the word of God how we're supposed to live and why we're still here. Uh, because if we're still here, then God has something for us. Uh, there's something that he wants us to, to be a part of, uh, and we're going to speak to that today. Uh, and this is going to be the first part of, of a three-part uh, sermon, uh, mini-series, if you want to call it that, that I've entitled Thinking Biblically About the Election, uh, because I think we have a responsibility, and I'm going to build a case uh, from the Word of God of, of our responsibility as those who are citizens of actually two different worlds. We are citizens of heaven, first and foremost, but we are also citizens of this great current country that we live in, the United States of America. Uh, and so as we uh, begin today, just so you're aware, before anyone thinks that you're going to hear from me an endorsement one way or another, you are not. That's not my responsibility. That's not what I'm, I'm here for, and that's not what the pulpit is for. But I do have a responsibility to communicate the truth of the Word of God to you. Uh, and I think that we have the ability to look at uh, the world in which we live uh, and take a look at what the Bible has to say and take and apply that to uh, the election that is coming up. Uh, and so with that said, um, please do not tune me out. Do not go to that place where you automatically uh, just think that I'm a bald-headed guy standing in front of you spouting off a bunch of things. Um, I spent a lot of time preparing this sermon, and I hope that it will speak to you, that you will see the importance of thinking biblically, uh, because we, we have a responsibility. And so with that said, um, we're going to start out uh, by taking a look, actually, uh, in relation to uh, the season that we're in. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For every thing there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. So it doesn't matter what it is. Because uh, Solomon, as he beautifully composes in, in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, 14 pairs of opposites, which you have no doubt read. You know, there's a time for, and you fill in the blank. Uh, but each of them is describing a different season or a part of life. 
Uh, and Solomon, as you know, uh, was given the, uh, was granted, uh, a, uh, a prayer from God. And you'll remember that Solomon says that, you know, give me the ability to lead your people, uh, and to do so in a wise manner. And so Solomon, as he's penning this, is, is, is evaluating life itself and saying that there is a, for everything a season. Uh, and we know that in relation to living our lives. Um, you know, uh, some of us are early on in the season of life. Some of us are in the middle. And some of us are knocking on heaven's door. That's a good thing, actually. But as we take a look at this, Solomon is describing things that are good in life, but also things that are bad in life. It's a reminder to us that life is full of choices uh, and that there is a proper time and a season uh, in which we must engage uh, because otherwise we will uh, not uh, succeed. And the thing is, is that each of those choices that we make, we need to understand, have consequences. Good choices, good consequences. Bad choices, bad consequences. And we find ourselves in one of those seasons right now. As we take a look at the landscape, as we take a look at the the media, uh, and knowing that we are in a presidential election cycle, uh, that is where we find ourselves. And we will be voting in on November 3rd, uh, the next president of the United States as well as other elected officials that will serve to to be guides in relation to how we live as Americans. And I will let you be the judge as to whether this election cycle is good or bad. Uh, that's not what I'm here to argue. Uh, what I am here to is to remind you of some things in relation to why you're still here, uh, to remember who you are in Jesus Christ. And so with that said... Uh, the first thing, as we took a look and we, we sung, uh, this world is not our home. And so let me remind you of a few things here scripturally, um, because that song comes out of Psalm, um, uh, well, the, the, no, that song doesn't, but the, the, the particular song that we sung in relation to God being everlasting to everlasting is to remember that God is eternal and that man's earthly life is finite. Listen to what it says in Psalm 90, starting in verse 1. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. So the first thing as we think about the fact that we are uh, visitors in this world, all because of Jesus Christ. But we are those who are created in the image of God. And because of our choice to sin against a holy God, there is a consequence. And that consequence is physical death, but also spiritual death. And the thing is, is that we are not just finite beings that once we die, that's it. Because the God that we know as believers in Jesus Christ is eternal, and that eternal God has done something very special because he has put eternity in the hearts of men. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
So in other words, there's still things that God knows. There's still things that God has not yet revealed to man. But the thing that he has revealed to us, and the thing that we need to understand, as well as the world in which we live, as those who are giving testimony to what God has done, is that we are eternal beings. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 goes on to say, in relation to the physical body and the spiritual body, that, uh, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. See, the thing is, we are giving testimony to the fact that there is a God, that he is eternal, and that each and every one who's created in his image, which is everyone, is going to return to the dust. So this physical body you see before you will turn to dust. Uh, and it's closer to turning to dust than it was uh, even a week ago. But the reality is, is that also the spiritual body, as it tells us here in Ecclesiastes 12, chapter 12, returns to God. And as we take a look at the New Testament to see that played out a little bit more, that spirit is returning to God because, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it has been appointed to man once to die. And after that comes judgment. So this eternal God who made everyone who made these physical bodies, and as a result of my choice to sin before a holy God, imposed upon me a spiritual death, but also a physical death. I don't know how many days I have, but I do know, according to the word of God, coming from the God who made me, whose word is eternal, is that I have an appointment with death. And after that, the judgment. And as I come into that judgment, the question is, what will my final destination be? Because Matthew twenty five forty six says that there are two final destinations. It says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And just as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we just got done a few weeks ago talking about the fact that Jesus pointed out very clearly that there is a narrow way and few are that find it. But there is also a broad way that leads to destruction. And the thing is, is that every human being that walks this planet will stand before the God who made them. And the question is, where do we stand before that God on Judgment Day? I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I will experience eternal life because I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I can agree with Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, that I am a citizen of in heaven, or of heaven. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So this almighty God who has the ability to give life and take life away, to experience those seasons in life, will uh, at one point take this lowly body and transform it and give me a glorified body that is fit for eternity. Because our souls are not annihilated. We don't cease to exist once this physical shell dies, once it goes back to dust. Instead, uh, we find ourselves on one of two eternal places, one of punishment and the other life. So this world is not our home. 
But the thing is, even though this world is not our home, we're still here. So the, the question that I have to ask is why? Why are we here? Because wouldn't it be much better for us to be in the presence of God, the one who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us? Wouldn't it be better for us to be in his presence right now? And from my perspective, I'd say, yes, it would be. But the question is, is I'm still here, so why? Well, I think the Bible speaks very clearly to that. And I think it builds into this whole thing as we take a look at, you know, the fact that we are citizens of heaven, but God has something yet for us to do. And we go back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is just by way of review. And for those that weren't with us when we took a look at this, probably close to the beginning of last year, as we were at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, Uh, One of the things that we need to see and realize as believers in Jesus Christ is that we are the only salt that this world is going to see. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, as we've been studying and we've taken a look at the Word of God, we realize that Jesus pointed out very clearly that he changes us from the inside out. He doesn't just dress up the outside for us to look different. He takes and completely renovates. He takes the dead internalness of who I am and breathes life into it. He gives me spiritual life. And as a result of giving me that spiritual life, uh, he has changed my inward character And therefore, as I live that changed life internally, it is going to affect how I respond outwardly. Uh, It's going to impact a decaying world. As you remember, we talked about the importance of what salt can do. It is a deterrent to decay. And so if we as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who recognize that we are eternal beings and that for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, that we have eternal life, then we have something that this world desperately needs, something that someone shared with you. And that's the glorious gospel good news, because it says you are the salt of the earth. And how we live our lives, how we take this word of God and we we make it part of who we are each and every day is going to have an adverse effect on the world in which we live. It is going to change it from being so much in a state of decay and moral decline because we are shining, as we'll find out in a few moments, light into that darkness. But we can actually slow the decay. But see, the thing is, is that God means for us to actually show up. We actually have to come out of the salt shaker. Because, you know, I have uh, multiple salt shakers in my house, and I use salt all the time because nothing in relation to my wife's cooking because it's awesome. But I just grew up putting salt and pepper on everything, and I put salt and pepper on practically everything. The thing is, is that salt is only as good as the amount I sprinkle out. Just having the salt container on the table is not going to salt my food. It has to be dumped out. It has to be put on the food in order for it to have that impact. Not so much to keep it from decaying, but to bring out all the flavors that are in that food. Well, see, the same is true in relation to us as believers. We need to shake ourselves out into the world. We need to have an impact on the world. And we do that by how we live. 
by what we say, how we engage the world in which we live. And I'd say even taking it a step further, even as we engage as citizens of the United States of America. And on November 3rd, you're going to have the opportunity to vote. And I think I can build a pretty strong biblical case that you should vote because you have the ability to deter decay in a decaying world by voting biblical values, which we won't speak to any of them this week. You'll have to come back next week and the week after. But see, God means for us to show up and make a difference in your neighborhood, in your community, uh, in your families, in your schools, in your jobs, everywhere, including showing up and, and enjoying the right as an American citizen to vote, to vote things that are, as we would see, salt in a decaying world. Just think for a moment what happened when Jesus showed up. People heard the truth. They were given hope. They were forgiven, they were healed, and they were fed. And when you think about the impact that we can have on this culture that is in moral decline, in moral degeneracy, we have the opportunity to speak the truth. We have the opportunity to give hope where there is no hope. We have the opportunity for people to see that there is meaning to life because we did not just evolve a God who is the creator, who is almighty, created each and every one of us. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for the purpose of offering a sacrifice that would be worthy of the holy God of all, to be able to forgive sins when we put our faith and trust in him, to, as it were, heal us from our spiritual uh, death. See, we need to remember is that we are bringing the most valuable message of hope in this world. The most valuable message. It's not the, the newest, latest craze. It's not that this particular piece of legislation is going to do anything to inspire hope that is lasting. We have something that goes beyond this life, that does affect this life. And that's the hope in relation to Jesus Christ. As it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. And guess what? You are the salt that is going to show that to the world. But if you're staying in that salt shaker, you're not going to have an impact. You need to sprinkle yourself out of the salt shaker. You need to get yourself into where the decay is and shine that truth in. But see, that's not the only thing. As you remember in Matthew chapter 5, the second thing that, that parceled in with the whole idea that we are the only salt is the fact that we are the only light. Verses 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, there's a result. There's something that is going to happen when we show up. There's something that's going to happen when our lights are shining. See, the thing is, lights are meant to illuminate and not be hidden. If your light is under a basket of, you know what, there's no sense in voting because there's no good candidate out there. 
You are making a determination that through what you have the ability to do as an American citizen and taking a look at it from a biblical perspective and saying, this is what honors God. You have the ability to be a light to the world, to stand up for issues that affect our country each and every day, that affect the lives as we'll find in, in probably, well, actually we'll find out two weeks from today of those who are yet to be born. Because we can take a look at it through the lens of, of God and see it from God's eyes and, and identify it as something that we need to champion. To not hide our light under a basket, but to put it on a stand. And what does that stand? By voting biblical values. Giving light to, as it were, instead of the whole house, to the whole United States, and really affecting the whole world, because what happens in our country does affect the world. Listen to what James Montgomery Boyce said, and pay close attention to what he says in relation to this. He says, for one thing, your presence will help to expose the evil and the darkness of this world, and you will find that you are not particularly popular for it. So you probably have experienced that already. If you stand up for what is right, when you stand up for the truth, when you proclaim and let your light shine and not be hidden under the basket, it's not popular because the darkness does not like the light. And the decaying world does not want to stop from being decayed because that's what is their slaves to. That's what they desire. That's what they live for. He goes on to say, you will illuminate dishonest practices in business Gossip in the secretarial poll, loose talk and still looser morals at parties, corruption in local politics, racial prejudice, greed, selfishness, and other things. And notice he says this, he says, and they will appear darker even to non-Christians because of what you reveal of the holy character of Jesus. So in other words, when your light is shining, when you are reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ into that dark world, it will even help those who are non-Christians to be able to see the truth. And we know, as the scripture says, that truth has the ability to set you free, to be able to, to see for the very first time with spiritual eyes as God opens up their eyes to their need of a savior, and to their sinfulness before God. Because light does affect darkness. It doesn't when it's under a basket. But when it's on that stand, it will affect the darkness because that darkness is, is chased away. Because you're, And the thing is, you'll notice when, you, when you're in a dark room, I mean, when it's pitch dark, if you've ever been in that situation and you turn on a flashlight, it, it just it, your eyes go right to it. It's kind of like the bug zapper, where the bug goes right to the the light. Let your light shine. Don't you think that Jesus wants his disciples to influence the world for good and for the glory of God? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. That's why we're still here. Because it would be far better for us to be in the presence of God. But the thing is, our God is also long-suffering and patient. And desires for all to come to the knowledge of his son. And so we have a job. We have a calling, as it were, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as citizens here in the United States of America. See, our desire should be for people to see God as we see him, as he is, as that gracious, gracious, 
and powerful and loving and just and righteous God that we know he is. Because God's opened our eyes to the truth because someone shared the light with us. Because someone was salt in our decaying world. Because they were not afraid of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And they understood what we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that we are messengers of reconciliation. Because what matters most in this world is not who the next president of the United States is going to be. What matters most in this world is whether or not they know the God who made them and they have salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So think about that. As the salt, as the light comes into that world and changes when they come to that point of repentance because the Spirit opens their eyes to their need of a Savior, they're not the same individual because the light has changed them, because the salt has changed them, because God is the one behind that light and salt. That is who we are reflecting to a lost and fallen world. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18 says, all this is from God. So in other words, you're just a vessel through which that salt and light comes. But we cannot be under the basket and we can't remain in the salt shaker. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled to us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So there's a result of what happens when God brings us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, is for the purpose of us being a minister or having the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ Jesus was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So again, we are the avenue. We are the conduit through which that glorious good news, because we are ambassadors for Christ. He's making that appeal for them to turn away from their sin and to come to him. It says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We implore you. And that's what we have as an opportunity and why we are still here, because we are here to implore people to turn from their wicked ways and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in closing this morning, like I said, you're going to have to, you have to guarantee you're going to come back for all three weeks to get all of this because it, it literally is a lot. But I want to finish because I want you to realize something in relation to the Apostle Paul. We've already established in Philippians 3, uh, verses 20 and 21, which we read earlier, that uh, he was a citizen of heaven. But something else that in, in, uh, that you may not realize is that Paul saw himself as a dual citizen because he recognized his Roman citizenship on numerous occasions as you take a look in the book of Acts. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 16 and 22, Paul uh, points out the fact that he is a Roman citizen. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't pretend like he's not. And there's a reason for that because as he's, he's taken a look at his situation 
And something that you need to realize, too, is that the Roman Empire ruled over Israel in the first century. And so as a Jew, uh, finding himself as a Roman citizen, but also as a citizen of heaven, first and foremost, he utilized the privileges of being a Roman citizen. Matter of fact, he was able to escape flogging in Acts chapter 22 as a result of being a Roman citizen because he was protected under that law. He also was, as a Roman citizen, able to gain audience with the Emperor Nero in Acts chapter 25, which also opened doors for Paul to declare the gospel before Herod Agrippa. So Paul did not shy away from the fact that he had an awesome opportunity as a citizen of two worlds, first and foremost as a citizen of heaven, because he, his, his home was not here on earth any longer, because that wasn't the end all. But the thing is, it didn't remove him from being also a citizen of this earth, and in particular, a citizen of the Roman Empire. See, Paul exercised the rights of both citizenships, but did so for the glory of God. He did it so that not just so he could get out of the things that that he was promised as a Roman citizen, but he utilized that as a stepping point to be able to communicate the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the, uh, to the glory of God. Paul understood this. He realized that, you know, we all eat and drink. And he says even something as simple as eating and drinking we should do to the glory of God. So in other words, we should be thankful for the food that we have to eat and uh, the, the, the fluids that we have to drink to see that as a benefit from God each and every day, and to do what? Glorify God as a result. We can glorify God by the fact that we actually have the opportunity to gather together as God's uh, uh, church family here in Ellington to enjoy worshiping together in one spirit and one truth. He says, and whatever you do, So I would even take it to the extent of saying, as citizens of the United States of America, you have the opportunity to be salt and light and realize that you have a message of reconciliation as an ambassador of Jesus Christ and to utilize your citizenship to have a profound and deep impact on a lost and fallen world. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. So you see, Paul did not separate out his Roman citizenship from his eternal heavenly citizenship. Because the thing is, I don't put God in boxes. As I stand before you today, God is not God in this box that I've labeled church, and he doesn't come over here into um, the the non-church area of Pastor Bill's life. Well, we'll just call it Bill's life. They're all intertwined because God has come into my life and completely transformed, turned my world upside down, and taken me from being a slave to sin to someone who glorifies and honors God through everything, that I live for Jesus Christ. And so you can't take and separate those citizenships and say that, well, God doesn't have an effect you know, over here, but he does have one over here. No, it's all intertwined. 
Just like you were a slave to sin, guess what? That affected everything that you thought, everything that you said, everything that you did before you put your faith and trust in Christ. And what has changed you is the Spirit. He's come in there and he's taken over and changed your life so that now, not perfectly, because we are still a, 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 we are still a work in progress in relation to living each and every day, but as far as I'm concerned in relation to who I am before Jesus Christ or before God the Father in Jesus Christ is I belong to him 100%. And I cannot undo that or change that because I've been paid for, purchased, redeemed by my Savior. And the thing is, God is God in every aspect of my life. And we need to see that. That God is not just God in the church here, which he is. But he is also God in relation to every aspect of my life. Whether I am driving my car, whether I am working using the gifts that God has given me, whether I'm just taking a walk outside, whether I'm in line at the grocery store, whether I'm doing etc. You can't separate the two. And so as we think about the fact that we are dual citizens, I think we have a responsibility. You cannot separate your citizenship in the United States of America from your relationship with God because everyone else that is going to vote is going to vote based off of their worldview and their lens by which they look through things. And we have the opportunity as believers in Jesus Christ to see things as they truly are and to have a profound impact on the world in which we live. God is God in every aspect of our lives, not the ones that we choose, because he is God of all. So as we continue on next week, and I'll be laying a little bit more of a foundation as we think about, you know, the fact that we are still here, that we have a responsibility, and that God has stuff for us to do. And he wants us to do it. He wants us to be light. He wants us to be sought. He wants us to be messengers of reconciliation. And then what I'm going to do at the end of the sermon next week and then the following, the third week, the whole sermon, we'll be taking a look at biblical values, things that we should look for as we seek to choose any candidate for any office in this country because we've been given a right as American citizens to do so. And I think we should have, you know, as our, our guiding force is the fact that we have the ability to impact the culture through our vote. By voting the the things that uh, are that honor God, and it's not an all or none deal, because we have to remember that people in this world there are people that are believers and there are people that are not. We know how unbelievers are going to act. Sometimes even believers can act like unbelievers, but that does not excuse us or keep us from doing the very thing that God has for us here, because there's still people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There's still people that need to see the light lived out in true believers because Christ has not come back yet. And so there's still time. And we have the ability to, you know, make it more than just thinking about ourselves and making an excuse, but instead looking to the future to see that everything, even our citizenship as, you know, um, uh, Americans in this great United States of America, do so for the glory of God. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, I just thank you for uh, 
today, Lord, I thank you for the reminder uh, as we reviewed some of what we've gone over in uh, recent time in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but also just taking a look at the fact that uh, even the Apostle Paul saw fit to acknowledge uh, that he was first a, a citizen of heaven, that he belonged to you, uh, that uh, he was your ambassador uh, to the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, and Lord, I, I too thank you that uh, he gave us examples of how he utilized his Roman citizenship, all for the opportunity to be a light and salt in the pagan culture. Uh, and Lord, as we take a look at the Roman Empire, it was truly a pagan culture, uh, just like our culture today in the United States is a pagan culture. And so, Lord, I think that we can learn from the example of Paul, but we can also learn from the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and why he came. He came for the purpose of being that light and darkness to uh, share with us the truth, to help us to see that we are sinners before a holy God and that short of Jesus Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that comes in knowing your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the, the strength and the encouragement and uh, the wherewithal that we can gain from having the Spirit of God living inside of us as believers. And may he give us the ability to stand on your word, your truth, realizing that we have uh, the ability as we reflect you to the fallen world to watch you work and watch you continue to change lives for eternity so that their end is not eternal destruction, but you can give them eternal life. And that every time that we are reflecting your truth to a fallen world, your word will never return void. Whether that means that they, their eyes are open to the truth and they, they uh, repent and trust your son Jesus Christ as their savior, or if they seal their fate in their hardness of heart and, and continue to uh, live uh, as one who is a slave to sin. We know that that uh, both uh, things will be true uh, because there are some, well, that are going to find the narrow way. But many and many more are going to be on that broad path to destruction. May you help us to be those ministers of reconciliation, imploring people to turn to your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning for worship, and I trust that uh, our time together in the Word has been encouragement, particularly to the believers here today. Uh, and as we, we think about the, the day and age in which we live, I think it's of utmost importance that we see the need for us to be salt and light and reconcilers.